Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we're joined today by Richard Morton, who is the head of accessibility at the Central Digital and Data Office, part of Cabinet Office, uh, which is the central part of the UK government, coordinating all of the other government departments. Uh, it's great to have you on. Um, so, Richard, how did you end up working in the field? Because this is something we always ask our guests is, what was your journey into accessibility? Okay, well, thanks, Neil. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I, I've been working in IT for a long time, starting in mainframes, actually, a long, long time ago, um, and moved into PCs, eventually into web work. And at one point, someone asked me about testing, so I started doing some general web compatibility testing and then they asked me about um, accessibility testing and it was it was kind of a, a natural progression if you like i didn't really know anything about accessibility at that point um, but i learned it pretty quickly i was a contractor and i just had to learn so that's how i got into it from there on i kind of specialized in that area um, i did do some web design and development but at a fairly low level for small organizations small local clients but I found much more sort of um, work available doing accessibility audits against particularly the web content accessibility guidelines and other standards, some against Section 508, that sort of thing. So that's that's how I got into the role, if you like. And then uh, I had the opportunity to do some work for GDS uh, five and a half years ago, just over five years ago. And um, and since then, I've, I've you know, stuck at it and uh, I became a civil servant after that and uh, yeah so carried on specializing in that area yeah and and I think it's an area that m most of us of our age you said you grew up and went to school in the 70s I can relate um, yeah. have have fallen into it's not something that you know we we grew up going you know what I'm going to be an accessibility specialist when I grow up um, hope hopefully that will change you know, hopefully a new generation will think you know, this is a, a career. But um, so what keeps you in it? Because that's the other thing is, you know, you, you, you can you can fall into it. But a lot of us don't just fall into it. We really immerse ourselves in it. Uh, and it's a it's a it's a topic that we become really passionate about. So so, yes, you were doing testing. Yes, you moved into it and started specializing. But what 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 was it that kept you interested? I guess um, the variety, you know, I've, I've audited so many websites across so many different types of organisation and things like that. There's such a variety. But then taking on other things like running training, running awareness sessions, writing guidance, there's such a variety of work in this area. It's just fascinating stuff. And, you know, I've become more passionate about it as I, as I go along. And, and the main, I guess one of the main drivers is my kind of frustration that this stuff still hasn't been solved, you know, 25 years after the Disability Discrimination Act. And, you know, the web was built to be accessible, and yet it's not. And, and I know things are a lot more complex now than they were back in the early days, but the, the pace of change with the web and, and other things, documents, just hasn't... Um, reflected itself in making them accessible and accessibility just hasn't been built in if you like which is is where my passion lies is building capability building a culture of accessibility it's not it's not so much these days about the technical side of it you know my technical skills 
are still there, but I don't use them on a day-to-day basis. I'm not doing, you know, coding and I'm not looking at <clears throat> ARIA very much, things like that. I'm looking much more at sort of cultural change and organisational change, structural change, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, my accessibility technical skills are busy atrophying as I think about the organisational impact and how we can do stuff at scale so yeah, much more on the strategy side of things these days and, and talking of strategy you know why is digital accessibility so important to the public sector i mean i, I think we probably already know but but it would be good to hear from from your point of view why why government and public sector sees it as so important yeah sure i mean i think so much information and so many services are, are now either completely digital or predominantly digital that it's it has become more important, even more important digital accessibility. I mean, it always was important, but everyone expects to be able to do things electronically. They need to want, want to do it right now. They need to do it on mobile devices where they are. So it's, it's vital, it's built in. And when you think about um, the public sector in particular, it's, it's even more important because, you know, for example, if I want to arrange a bulk waste collection or renew my passport or or a view, even view a planning application, I can't sort of go through Google search, find a provider, and then if they're, they're not accessible, go to the next one. I don't have a choice. I, you know, there's only one organisation I can go to to renew my passport, which is Home Office. So, the you know, we talk a lot about the concept of the click-away pound in um, in electronic retailing stuff and that's that's great it's a, it's a really useful analogy that people can click away and go to other things but they can't with the public sector so it doesn't just doesn't apply so it has to be accessible there's no option and people have to use government services whether they're local government or uh, or central government um also it's it's vital to think about how we make effective use of public money you know the, the government costs a lot to run but it has to be spent effectively we can't um you know deal with fixing accessibility failures all the time uh, when that could that money could be better spent on getting it right in the first place, building it in. Um, so it's, it's all that side of it as well. Richard, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. We really, really appreciate it. And I'm joining from the States. I'm joining from Virginia. And I know that when we were, when we were updating our 508 law, and it's funny when I heard you say 508, I, not everybody these days in the accessibility field always knows about 508. So I, I can tell when somebody knows that, that they're, they have a little bit more understanding of what's happening in the world. But I know that when we as a country were um, working on 508, we decided to make our government figure it out first, and then everybody else would follow suit, even though we gave our government no you know, money or training or support doing it. It's like, good luck. You're doing it wrong, by the way, but it's it's just, you know, it's we really needed our government, which is our largest employer in the United States, um, to if they could figure it out, then we felt the rest would follow. And some of that has happened. Of course, our lawyers have stepped in, too. But how is the regulation about accessibility having a positive life on procurement and people's lives? I think it's certainly making people much more aware of the need to consider accessibility. Um, regulation's been around a long time in terms of things like the Equality Act uh, and the Disability Discrimination Act, but more recent regulation, thinking about the public sector bodies accessibility regulations in the UK and across the rest of Europe, has certainly raised awareness of this. Um, you know, and, and we're still at the case where 
when we run basic training and demonstrations, it still leaves people getting those aha moments when they think, yeah, I, I need, I now understand why this is important because you can write it in a document as much as you like or in a standard and people don't necessarily take much notice. But the regulations, you know, if we can raise awareness of the regulations, it is having an impact. Um, they're certainly talking about it a lot more than previously through things like communities, um, meetups, stuff like that. Um, even though, as I say, the, the, the sort of Equality Act's been in place a long time, Disability Discrimination Act, and it doesn't really, it isn't really radically different from that. It sets particular standards, but the laws around discrimination have been around quite a long time in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and th- th- there is a lot of talk in the communities about procurement and how to improve things. Um, and so, you know, including all these basic legal requirements is important, but one one thing we have found, and I'm sure that's the case in the US as well, is that many suppliers don't seem to know much about accessibility. You know, in the private sector, you talked about government, started, starting with government. It's similar in the UK that the public sector has led the way here. Um, so the private sector is, is struggling to catch up with some of this stuff. Um, but, you know, bigger suppliers, certain ones are taking this seriously and working hard to improve things. And, you know, I always point out, it's in their commercial interest. You know, if they're, if they're supplying to government, government's a big part of their um, market, if you like. So it's in their interest to do this stuff. Right. And I know that in the States, the the United States government is the biggest procurer of services and products. So if you want to buy from the United States government, you're supposed to be accessible. And we created even a, a testing group in our de, uh, Department of Homeland Security. But I just wanted to make one more comment, then turn it over to Antonio. But uh, And I know I believe Neil wants to make a comment too before Antonio. But I just wanted to say the point that you were making about we have to go to the government for for services. I can't file my taxes with another vendor. I have to file my taxes with the Internal Revenue Service. I just thought that was such a really important point. And it seems like often people forget about that. So I just wanted to say thank you for your leadership because we need people like you leading us all over the place. I know, Neil, you want to make a comment before we give it over to uh, Antonio. Well, thanks, Deborah. Yeah. Actually, bothered to mute myself. Silly me. Um, right. So, yeah. In, in terms of procurement, I think it's it it is an interesting one, and, and and it was really about your comment about suppliers not necessarily understanding accessibility, and 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 also I think this even organisations that have an accessibility competence don't have it embedded across the whole of the organisation. So, so what i often see is that you have accessibility conformance statements and people will take the existence of a conformance statement or a vpat document as conformance uh, when actually it's a report on the lack of conformance for the most part so so that that lack of understanding is something that we're trying to educate our procurement people about and and generally through procurement help people understand that that these statements of conformance are tools for us to use to help inform our choices rather than a rubber stamp that you can now go ahead and buy, <laughs> buy stuff. And, and, and equally on the sales side of things, you know, people go, we're fully 508 compliant when they mean they filled out the form. So so I think that, that there's still this sort of education process to go through uh, uh, across organizations 
that doesn't mean that people have to be deep experts, but but do does mean that they need to be able to sort of look out for certain red flags within a document, and then sort of that can then be referred off to the, the teams. So so it can have a really positive effect if people know what they're looking for, and uh, the the. That I think as we educate people on how to re- read the forms and so on, that um, th- that this will get better. And Deborah's made a point about saying, "Don't say you're compliant; say you're conformant, but uh, or conforming." But uh, even so, uh, it, these are weasel words. Antonio, <laughs> hand over to you. No, this this is a a topic that you no know, uh, we have discussed in the past with, with guests from 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 different part of, of the world, you no, know, even working for, for different government organizations who, who do a similar work to, to Richard's. So my question is, you know, many countries have regulations uh, on accessibility, but you know, how can we make sure legislation is respected and put into practice? Because sometimes you know, we have uh, efforts from you know, coming from many different sources, from, from government, we have ad, uh, advocacy groups, but how we can make sure that in, in the end, <laughs> the, the the outcome is achieved. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's it, a, there's a mix of things. I mean, we at um, CDDO and formed previously at GDS. I mean, it's the same team. We've previously been running an accessibility campaign over the last two years, and that's included a lot of strands, things like blog posts, social media surveys, podcasts, talks, question and answer sessions like this. Um, and also taking advantage of events like Global Accessibility Awareness Day to raise the profile of, of the legislation, the new regulations, particularly in the UK, but also the Equality Act and, and the related regulations. Um, the accessibility capability team at CDDO are you know, carrying on doing this across government through accessibility community groups and meetups, training clinics and guidance. And... Um, so, so it's it's ongoing, if you like. Um, we have to do a lot of work to keep raising awareness of this. But then there's the other side of it, which is the monitoring and enforcement. And CDDO runs the monitoring process for the public sector body accessibility regulations in the UK. Each country in the EU, when it was EU regulations, uh, chose a body to, to monitor and pr- uh, uh, enforce the regulations. Uh, so that was GDS, but now that's moved to CDDO as from last April. Um, they're a separate team within CDDO, but we actually work quite closely with them. And um, what they do is they monitor a sample of the many thousands of public sector websites and documents and intranets. And they do a range of types of testing on those, simplified, detailed testing. They then report back to the organisations uh, if there are problems and or if there are you know discrepancies between the accessibility of the website and what they say in their accessibility statements. And, uh, you know, they give them a reasonable time to fix the issues found. If they don't fix them, then it comes to a, the point of enforcement and um, CDDO enforces the accessibility statement requirements. But then the general enforcement goes through a couple of different bodies in the UK. There's the Equality Act, sorry, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission in Great Britain and the Equalities Commission for Northern Ireland in Northern Ireland. They then enforce it and they they just use their existing powers under the um Equality Act and the Disability Discrimination Act. And it's, you know, it's still early days. The regulations have been in place for three years now nearly, um, but the the sort of the requirement for existing websites to meet regulations came in last September. 
and the most recent deadline was in June for mobile native applications in, in just June this year. So it's it's in many ways it's still early days, but you know we're working hard on ensuring that um, <clears throat> the legislation is respected and put to practice. Yeah, uh, I'm really interested in in this sort of sampling and 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 sort of understanding how you can get that representative sample. Obviously, you can't test everything, so yeah. so. Um, I mean, and you say it's a separate team. So, I mean, the 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 amount of stuff out on the web is is growing exponentially. Uh, so, how how is the uh, that team, and 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 how do you think similar teams in other countries can cope with that exponential growth and keep on keep on top of stuff? Because not only do we have, um, you know. Uh, growth in the number of websites but the change the change is constant as well you know gov.uk doesn't stay static there's so much there's so much change yeah absolutely i mean there's, there's new websites appearing every day new domain names things like that and, and obviously short-term initiatives things like that it's it's a real challenge you know it's, it's a big task there are tens of thousands of public sector websites we couldn't possibly uh, monitor and check them all but it's like any kind of um auditing, sampling, testing, um, similar to, you know, the way HMRC do investigations. They can't possibly check everyone's tax, everyone's taxes, even if, you know, they wanted to. It, they have to do it on a sampling basis. And then it becomes a sort of, you know, I guess it becomes a deterrent. It becomes a sort of educational exercise as well. That uh, One of the things we hope to do is find out the sort of areas where people are having lots of problems so we can tailor our, you know, guidance and training accordingly. Because if if the majority of issues are with things like I don't know video, then maybe that's an area we need to address more directly. That's just a you know an example. So yeah, it's always going to be difficult to um, come up with a, a sort of com a complete list of websites to test and come up with a sample. But you know, we're working hard on making sure we get a good cross section. Um, and making sure that um, <clears throat> it's representative of the public sector. Thank you. Uh, right. It, it, it's, it's interesting, all of this, especially when I compare it to the U.S., because we don't officially have an enforcement, even though we have our access board. Our access board provides technical support, but they do have enforcement under the ADA anyway. We get all complicated. but. Um, what do you consider to be good practice on the accessibility of government communications to make sure all of the agencies do understand, but also the public understands? I think um, it's uh, good practice in communications is vital. I mean, obviously, there's the, the general communications around publications. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of publications on gov.uk. So we have good pr principles in place to try and ensure those are accessible um but there's there's whole other areas that possibly haven't been looked at in such detail um up to now things like emails documents social media um you know that there's um there's kind of a realization that things that weren't thought possible before and just hadn't had the effort put in them could, could become possible so you know we, we've had to do a lot of work around trying to make sure that people think about their social media think about emails 
emails are complicated because so many different email clients are in use. They're not as reliable in the sense of they don't, you know, they're not consistent in terms of supporting standards, if you like, like browsers are. I mean, browsers aren't perfect by any means, but they're more consistent than they used to be back in the bad old days of the Netscape Navigator Wars and things like that. Um, I've been working with the GDS communications team and the government communications service, which is a whole um, agency within government, on trying to improve awareness and general communications in areas specifically like social media. So we've been running regular webinars for communications professionals, giving them the basics of the regulations, why accessibility is important, and hints and tips to make their communications more accessible, and also providing guidance around social media. And we still have a long way to go because, uh, you know, I still regularly see stuff that comes out with um, videos where there's embedded um, captions or what you might call subtitles that aren't the audio described. So for anyone who can't see that, they don't get that information. So there's, there's still a long way to go in that area. And I think part of the issue with that is that a lot of... Um, a lot of work is outsourced. So again, it comes back to the private sector in many areas that um, if, if we're outsourcing stuff to agencies and things, we've got to make sure they know what government requirements are or public sector requirements are. We've got to make sure they've got skills, the knowledge to be able to provide those things. And, you know, from my experience, um, media agencies don't provide captions by default, for example. They, they you know, either they offer it as an option or they're not even aware that, you know, you might even want to ask for it, which is shocking in many ways. But so we, I think we've got a long way to go with, with a, a number of areas. But we're working hard, as I say, to try and raise awareness within the communications professionals across governments so that they know and they can ask the right questions and they can put the right things in procurement contracts, those sort of things. No, uh, on, on the topic of social media, I, I personally believe that... so social media organizations will also have a role to play uh, on helping people to to make their content more, more accessible on, on the channels. We know that Twitter uh, allows you to uh, bring out text, but doesn't do a great job on the caption side. Uh, and, this, and the same apply to other social networks, because I believe that if social networks are able to improve the, the part of the back end of their platforms, it, the usability of how you are able to do those things people will be more prompt in order to use them. Yeah, and I think I think people are becoming more aware of that, um, particularly with particularly in the areas of captions where I think I think the stats are that the majority of videos on Facebook are watched with captions because people just don't put the audio on. And so it's benefiting everyone. But as a result of that, people are starting to think more about it and thinking, I need those, you know, and um why aren't they there or why aren't they there by default? But yeah, you're right. Some of the some of the platforms, some of the social media platforms still have a way to go in terms of making you do these things up front. So alt text, whilst it's possible to put it in most social media platforms now, I don't think any of them sort of prompt you to make sure you do it. Um, so, you know, maybe that's the next stage. And I know there's challenges around that. It's not, it's not a simple thing to solve. You know, something like Twitter is quite a different thing to a website even though technically it's using web technologies it's such a different way of working um <clears throat> so these are complex things yeah so, those workflows are are super important and 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 quite often we forget that there is a, a really important accessibility 
guideline from the W3C, which is possibly has more impact than even the web content accessibility guidelines, even though it's less known, which is UAG, which is the user agent. Sorry, uh, the, sorry, the, yeah, essentially, essentially the, the user agent stuff, because that is the stuff that creates the content that then becomes the stuff in the W, uh, in the, in WCAG. I'm tying myself up in knots today. It's been a long day. Um, I have an, another question, which is related to some of the events recently in that the government has published its disability strategy. And in that, there's lots of stuff about government departments talking about the stuff that they're doing to work for um, towards greater inclusion. So in the context of what you're doing, how can cross-government initiatives take accessibility you know, into other government departments? What, do you, what are CDDO doing with, for example, the Home Office or, or, or others in terms of sharing best practice and skills and, and, and so on? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the accessibility capability team within CDO exists primarily for cross-government work. Um, it's, it's, it was kind of a split off from the original accessibility team when we created the accessibility regulations. We, we had to have a separate team for that. So it, it's predominantly involved in that area. And it, it's, um, we created the government accessibility communities about six years ago, just before I started. Um, that's grown to a large number of people in, in government and other parts of the public sector as well. You know, it extends beyond central government into local authorities, into the NHS, into public transport, into universities. And um, it's, a, it's a community of professionals in, in many different disciplines who have an interest in this. And um, we've worked a long time with them to sort of make them, they've become more independent, if you like, because in the early days, we had to sort of prompt with questions and we had to answer a lot of the questions. But now we've got to the stage where, you know, if you ask a question in the government accessibility community, you'll get half a dozen answers from half a dozen different parts of government very quickly. And, you know, we, we get involved, but we don't have to, you know, these things get answered. So it's it's um, it's definitely working well. And, you know, we, we do work with other, with other parts of direct, directly like HMRC, like DWP, Department for Work and Pensions, and home office and we work on various initiatives uh, there's groups of accessibility specialists working together as well and you know we're, we're continuing as i said earlier i think to build accessibility capability we run awareness sessions around assistive technologies around introductions to accessibility generally and we provide a lot of input into guidance that goes on places like gov.uk and into the service manual which is part of the government service standard which is predominantly aimed at government central government services but can be used by anyone so that there's sort of good accessibility uh, guidance in there as well and um and what it's mean what what's meant is that there's been initiatives around specialized areas so for example data visualization and graphs um a lot of that has come from organizations like ons the office for national statistics um, there's another in initiative going on, which is around maps. Maps are really complex and difficult things to make accessible. We're not just talking about um, location maps. We're not even just talking about uh, interactive maps where you get uh, data pins. And things like that. We're talking about things like 
planning where you have to input boundary maps and things like that. It's it's quite a complex area. So there are working groups that go on within within both the accessibility communities and the design communities. And they they all talk about accessibility and make sure that's included within that. So there's a lot going on in that area, if you like. Um, and I guess the great thing about the communities is that we get a diverse range of ideas as well. It's not just, you know, CDDO or GDS coming up with these ideas. We, you know, there's plenty of talented people in, in those organisations. There's plenty of talented people across the rest of government. And, of course, they've all got different perspectives. You know, this is from across the UK, so it's not just... England, it's not just the southeast or London, it's 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 very much across the UK. So we're we're building on that, if you like. And it's it's it does take work, you know, managing communities, managing meetups, things like this. And as to say, initiating um in various initiatives. Um we we help with those, we try to facilitate those, but we get to the stage where the communities are starting to do some of those things themselves without us even prompting them. So that's great. Excellent. I um I need to correct myself. I got myself in a twist. I said user agent. I meant ACTAG, which is the Altering Tools Accessibility Guidelines. So yeah, um, yeah, a long day. Um, <laughs> because yeah, it's it's the it's the things where you make the content and and the fact that they need to produce that content accessibly and prompt you that is so important. Obviously, yeah, I mean, we, do, we do we do talk to people about intranets and publishing tools and things like that. Yeah. And the need to think about those things, and to be honest, it, it does sometimes come as a surprise to people that we're not just talking about public facing websites. People often think that's that's the end of what they need to do, and it isn't. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff around that. You've got to make these tools work for everyone. And the civil service is a big organisation, you know, and, it, and like everywhere else, it has a a wide, diverse range of people working there, and a large proportion of those are disabled. Um, and and there are, as, as we always talk about, you know, permanent, temporary, and situational impairments as well. And I, I also want to make a comment because I've been blessed to be in the accessibility field since the 2000, and I just find that a lot of accessibility people that consider themselves experts in accessibility sometimes just don't understand the complexity of what you're dealing with. I don't believe I could possibly understand the complexity of what you're dealing with. I would think I could, but it's sort of the same thing with the complexity of what a billion-dollar corporation like Atos deals with. So we sometimes hear experts saying, government, stop using all PDFs. Don't use the maps. Don't. It's like, but, so I just want to thank you for your leadership and, and I hear often from large corporations in the U.S. that the experts or the community just don't understand the complexity. If, if you're pulling one thing out and you want to make this one drop-down box accessible, well, you can do it. And you had mentioned ARIA, uh, which I know you're, you know what you're talking about when you say ARIA. But it's just interesting because I think sometimes the vendors don't understand the complexity of what you're dealing with. And I, I just... You know, wanted to give you a moment to talk about that before Antonio um, asks one of the last questions. Sure, yeah, and as I said earlier, I think the um, the web started out as a very simple thing, didn't it? It was text and hypertext links, and that was it. And so it had accessibility built in. And as you've seen demonstrations of it, it's um, you know the original website is still you know um, responsive. It will change flow and things like this, and it's quite accessible. 
so complexities came in when people added images, tables, uh, multimedia, all those things, which is great. You know, you, it would have been stagnant and, and, you know, not that useful if they hadn't. But it's introduced a lot of complexity. Um, but I, I'm, I'm thankful there are a lot of experts out there who know this stuff and who can work out this stuff. I never describe myself as an expert. I always think you're not an expert because you're always learning. I'm always learning. And and also, you know, I I mentioned earlier um, that and my technical skills are probably not as much as they used to be. And they don't need to be, to be honest, because I don't need to know the last detail of, of things like ARIA and stuff like that. But I need to know where to look for that if I need to. Um, but we have to sort of specialise and if you like my speciality has become raising awareness and building capability and training and things like that which is you know I love doing um, but I still I'm still fascinated by the technical side of it but I don't have to deal with that on a day-to-day basis but yeah you're right you know the expertise needs to be there and people aren't aware of the complexities of this you know when I start to look at it some of the details of CSS and HTML, you know, it's, it scares me sometimes, but uh, I know where to go for the answers. That's the thing. There's some experts out there. Uh, uh, continuous learning uh, is something that, you know, that we're all passionate about, you know, following changes. So today we're all here you know, working from home. Uh, so, uh, Richard, what what changes have you uh, observed in the realm of accessibility in the in the last fifteen months? What are the things that capture your attention? Yeah, I think there was definitely a realization um, early on in the pandemic last year that you know lots of things that weren't possible or just hadn't been done before could be done. So it suddenly became possible for many people to work from home. Um, when before it was often the case that, you know, it, it was considered difficult or, you know, just wasn't an option. And, you know, there are there are challenges with that and organisations have had to adapt. They've had to provide things for a home office setup, simple things like, well, not simple things, but things like mice, monitors, uh, office chairs, those sort of things to make people have a usable working environment. And, of course, you know, reasonable adjustments where they need particular particular adjustments or particular things. So it's been a challenge, but it's it's proved that a lot of things are possible. And, you know, that wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago anyway because of the um, the broadband landscape then was a lot, lot smaller than it is now. It's still, you know, it's still difficult in many areas. Many people don't have fast broadband, things like that. So there are still a lot of difficulties in that area. Um, but also, you know, within governments, uh, it became clear very early on in the pandemic it was not only possible to design and build accessible things very quickly but it became essential you know in theory yes you could design something tomorrow and build it quite quickly but practicalities mean you have to build a team you have to do something but actually the first WK COVID-19 service was built in a few days three or four days I think it was um, essential service and what it really showed though was that it's, it, it had accessibility built in from the start because it was built from accessible components, um, which came from the government design system, which came from previous iterations, if you like. So there's an approach of building in accessibility from the start, and I'm not claiming that's perfect or anything like that. There's, there's always room for improvement in those areas, but it meant, as I say, you could spin up a complex, quite a complex service in a few days that was vital um, at the early days of the pandemic and that that could be vital in other situations as well 
And the more efficient we are, the, the better it's going to get. Um, you know, the, there's also been a big shift in things over the last 15 months as a result of the public sector bodies accessibility regulations. Um, I mentioned the second deadline was for existing public sector websites. That was September 2020 last year. So there was a massive push um, throughout 2020 to make things compliant with the regulations. Um, there was actually some pushback, if you like, from people saying, "Oh, you know, can we can we not do this because of the pandemic?" But we didn't. We did resist that and said, "Well, we're happy to collaborate and support, but you've still got to meet these regulations. You've still got to do them. You've still got to achieve them." So we didn't water them down. Um, so that there was a big push on that front, and and obviously that continued with the um, regulations about mobile apps and things like that. So there's definitely a change in the landscape over the last 15 months. And I think for me, what's important is it's raised awareness. Uh, people talk about compliance and performance, but I've, I every talk I give, I always talk about going beyond compliance and performance. Compliance or conformance, whatever you want to call it, is is only the base, basics and it doesn't guarantee something's accessible and it's it's only there in some sense as a tick box exercise for many people that they, they might say what what do we need to do what's the minimum we need to do um and whilst i recognize that you know people have to focus on priorities they have fixed budgets often they have fixed time scales for some of these things they have to go beyond that and we have to keep working to to continue to promote that so i think in terms of our next challenge, that's that's the real challenge, if you like, is getting people to go beyond what they've done in the last 15 months, which has been brilliant, um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think that, that the legislation has had a, a, a significant accelerating effect on um, the improvement of accessibility of websites, but also uh, it's woken up the private sector supply chain that, that you guys rely on to the doing this more and to the need to um, build accessibility skills because that's that's something that we've been passionate about for a long time but but it's really clear now that there's a real demand for skills and that you can't just go out and recruit because everyone's gone out and looked to recruit and so we need to grow them so so that's something that uh, we're you know, really passionate about, but also um, seeing what's happening. You know, we've got the laws in the UK; they're the same. You know, they've transposed from the from the European legislation. And I think that also, even though UK is outside of Europe now, the impact of trading digitally across borders will mean that the European legislation is going to impact the private sector quite considerably over the next um, couple of years as the European Accessibility Act comes into force as well, because any UK company that wants to do business with Europe is going to have to do it. So, so I think there's going to be a continued um, benefit from, from legislation to, to making um, accessibility more, more commonplace and more, more embedded. But um, echoing back to what you said and, and what Deborah said, actually trying to do this in complex organisations is not trivial. Uh, there's an awful, <laughs> there's an awful lot of legacy systems to deal with. An awful lot of interoperability between different systems and dependencies on on partners and 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 other bits of business and operations that 
make it something that is less about technical competence and capability and more about management competence process and uh, and all of this kind of stuff so so i think that this is this is something that that the accessibility industry needs to get their heads around as well you can't just deal with the code you need to deal with the complexity and the uh, and the sort of organization behind it so uh, yeah yeah and i think it's 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 very much about making everyone aware that it's all everyone's responsibility to do this stuff um and i you know i constantly kind of go on about the importance of accessibility and that people don't always get it but i i say you know what would you do if um someone said your your website wasn't gdpr compliant you'd soon fix that wouldn't you or you'd make sure it was compliant or uh, it wasn't secure for example you didn't have a secure password system you'd be taking big notice of this and that, that's where you know regulations do come in but i'd much rather use the carrot than the stick you know yeah. And I'm a, I'm a pragmatist. I, I, I recognise that people do struggle with some of this stuff and it's it's not easy to get the priorities right because they've got big projects coming on, they've got tight budgets, they've got limited timescales. But I, I just encourage people to to make things better than they are. That's a, that's a big thing. Um, maybe that's not ambitious enough, but I am ambitious But uh, and I do push people. But um, I also just you know try and encourage because I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um, so thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak with us. You know, um, GDS and, and now CDDO has always you know, been a leader in, in this space and I think has, has shone a light for other government services. So uh, thank you for continuing to do that. Thank you for making us proud. Um, and we really look forward to you joining us on Twitter on Tuesday night. Thank you, well, thanks very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself. Yeah, great. One, one last thing. I need to thank the people that keep the lights on. Um, so Barclays Access, my clear text, and, and Michael Link for supporting us over the years. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Richard. We need more leaders like you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs>